Our Heavenly Father, it's our intention this morning to open up Your Word that we might see Jesus more clearly. And so we pray that You would enable us by the power of Your Spirit to have eyes to see and ears to hear so that we would bow before our great Lord and Savior, worshiping Him and receiving grace from Him. For Jesus' sake, amen. You may be seated. Our text this morning is Mark chapter 8, verses 34, down to Mark chapter 9, verse 1. You'll find that on page 844 of the Pew Bible. You recall from last week that Peter has now made his famous confession, you are the Christ, and then proceeded to rebuke Jesus when Jesus told him what that would mean for Jesus to be the Christ the Messiah. And now as uh, following on the heels of that, we see how Jesus is going to instruct not only his disciples, but the crowd as they look on. Verse 34, he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake And for the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Pastor told the story of a young adult woman who was mentally handicapped, who was a part of their congregation. And almost every Sunday when the sermon was about three quarters of the way through, she would hold up her hymnal and point to it as if to say, It's time now to quit preaching and let's sing the last hymn. She lived at home with her parents still. Some Sunday mornings she would say to her mother, I'm not going to church. And her mother would sort of massage the situation as best that she could and try to convince her, yes, we need to go to church. You need to get ready for church. And she'd say, I'm not going to church. And finally she would say, but Jesus is going to be there. And if we don't go, he'll miss you. To which she would respond, well, you just go and tell Jesus that I'm not coming to church. There's a sense of honesty in her life about her willingness to follow Jesus, to come and be with him. And here, Peter's concern for himself is revealed in the way in which he rebukes Jesus, when Jesus reveals to him just what kind of Messiah he would be, that he would be the suffering servant who would be put to death on a cross on behalf of his people. Jesus' concern is that, well, if this is what's going to happen to the Messiah, what about me? What's going to happen to me? Should I follow Jesus as well. I'm not sure I want this kind of Messiah. In other words, well, 
If that's where you're going, Jesus, I'm not ready to follow. And so he rebukes Jesus. And now Jesus actually, we're told, turns to the crowds. Where they come from, we're not exactly sure. This may have been spoken sometime later. But what he wants to tell them is the same message that he would give to the rest of his disciples. If you want to follow me in my earthly ministry, if you want to enjoy the miracles and see the healings, if you want to see people raised from the dead and you want to enjoy the glory of this earthly ministry, well, then you need to be willing to follow me all the way to the cross too. And so he says here this command in verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now you know that in Jewish culture, the cross was horrific to think about. It was a a symbol of the authority of the Roman government. It was shocking to people. And so for Jesus to say, take up your cross and follow me, was meant to say, you need to be willing to walk as a condemned man or woman or child. That you would live your life under the condemnation of the rest of the world so that you don't come under the condemnation of your heavenly Father. And so it was shocking for them to think about taking up their cross and living as one who has been condemned and about to be executed. In other words, Jesus is saying, be prepared to follow me all the way to the point of death. In other words, we're to follow Jesus at all costs. Now, if you think about the Roman Christians to whom Mark is writing, when they read this, or better, it was read to them in their house churches, they would have interpreted these words literally. Take up your cross and follow me. Certainly there was the possibility that any of them could be brought before a Roman tribunal for following Jesus, for aligning themselves with Christ and be executed. So for them, they would hear this in a very literal fashion. But even though in America we don't face that sort of reality, a a tribunal over our faith so that we might live as condemned men and women who are ready to be executed. Jesus is saying our level of commitment is to be no less. We may not face this sort of thing literally at this point, but nonetheless we're to have the same level of commitment to Jesus so that if it ever were to happen, we would still follow Jesus all the way. You ever wondered if you would pass that test? I've wondered that. What if I was in the position where I was brought before the courts and they were to ask me, do you confess the Lord Jesus? There have been many throughout church history who have been asked that various question or that same question. And they've been tested to see, will they follow Jesus all the way, all the way to the cross? My friends, let us not think that we can just simply skate by with a lesser level of commitment just because we're not tested in the same way. That we can somehow live in a partial commitment to the Lord in in some ways no man's land where we're somewhat committed to Jesus but we're not willing to go all of the way. 
Because it may just be that the Lord Jesus will test us and refine us to see just what is in us, how far we're willing to go. Because the reality is, is that we all struggle to follow Jesus. I don't think any of us have ever taken Jesus so seriously in handling sin as to gouge out our right eye if it causes us to sin, or to cut off our arm if it causes us to sin. We aren't ready yet to give up everything, to sell all that we have and follow Jesus. We have excuses for why we don't speak of Jesus to non-Christians. We aren't ready yet to follow Jesus into the same prayer life and intimacy with the Father that He experienced. Oh, we want that. We very much want that kind of intimacy with the Father. We very much want to know God face to face as long as it doesn't require much work from us. If it really doesn't mean that we have to give ourselves to to praying the way that Jesus prayed. And in so many ways, we struggle to follow Christ. I can remember the first time I went snow skiing. I was 15. I went with a youth group out to Colorado. And of course, my friends said, don't take the ski lessons. You just come with us. We'll teach you how to ski. So I said, okay, let's, let's go. By the end of the day, I'm standing at the top of the mountain looking down at this diamond with all of these moguls, this black diamond, thinking, what in the world am I doing? And my friends are halfway down the mountain saying, come on, follow us. And I'm saying, you want me to follow you there? And in a way, that's what we say to Jesus. You want me to follow you there? You want me to be ready to take up my cross in a literal fashion and to walk as a man condemned to die? Is that really what you want of me, Jesus? And you see, any level of resistance is actually an admittance and maybe a declaration that the cross may be okay for Jesus, but it's not okay for me. Jesus, you can go there. You can do the dirty work. You take care of all of that. And I'm going to pursue the easy life. I'm going to resist following you where you lead. Because I deserve better than that. Isn't that what we're saying to Jesus? I deserve better. Now Jesus here is very gracious to us. And he gives us three reasons to follow him. The first is this, that your life is safe with Jesus. And I don't mean by that that your life is easy with Jesus. I mean that it's safe, that your eternal life is safe with Jesus, that all those who are willing to trust him realize that their life is in safe keeping with Christ. He says here in verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. It's really sort of the image of the courtroom as we've talked about before where you're asked to give testimony about where you align yourself. And you can protect yourself by saying, well, I align myself with those over here. And that's my testimony. And maybe for the time being, your life is safe. But he's saying in the end, you'll actually 
lose it. That's the whole irony of what Jesus is saying. By, by trying to save your life, by taking the easy way out, it will actually cost you your whole life. And there's so many ways that we make efforts to, in a sense, save our lives, to try to secure for ourselves the kind of future that we want by saying, Jesus, I'm not going to follow you there. That's not my dream. That's not what I envisioned for my life when I thought about it. When I was growing up, I I had a picture of what my life would be like. Or I had a picture of what retirement would be like. Or I had a picture of my family or my vocation. And Jesus, I'm not sure that I'm willing to follow you there. And so we make every effort possible to secure the kind of life that we want for ourselves. And what we end up finding out is we'll end up losing it. We'll end up losing it. It's sort of like the person who tries so hard to guard or protect a relationship or works so hard to guard or protect a business or whatever it might be. You may have seen these people. They, they work so hard at they end up crushing it and destroying it. And Jesus said, you can work all you want to try to save your life and in the end, you'll just simply destroy it and it will be taken from you. But whoever is willing to give up his life or lose it for Jesus will find that he is able to save it because Jesus will save it. And it requires great faith on our part to let go of everything that we would find such security in and realize that Jesus and Jesus alone can save. It's sort of like in an action movie and there's a group of people in a burning building. And they know that there's no way out and they're all huddled together in the room and the fire is coming at them. And they're not sure what to do and the hero of the story says, now you follow me. We're going to go right through those flames and we're going to jump out that window and everybody's saying, no. And he's saying, now you trust me and you follow me because if you don't jump, you will die. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you don't follow me, you will die. You cannot save yourselves. And just like in the hero of the story, the reason that we're willing to follow is because the hero has already gone there for us. He's jumped out first. And that's what we see with Jesus. He's already told the disciples, I'm headed to the cross, it's where I'm going. I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to rise. And that's why our life is safe with Jesus. Because on the third day, He will rise. And He says, now if I rise, you will rise too. And He says, your life is safe with Me. It's what makes Jesus trustworthy. He says here in verse 1 of chapter 9, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking first and foremost about the resurrection. He's not talking about His second coming. He's talking about the resurrection. That you'll see the kingdom of God coming with power because the Son of God is going to walk out of the tomb. And in doing that, He's going to secure eternal life for all those who would trust in Him. All those who would take up their cross and follow Him. And if we trust our life with Jesus, everything about our lives, and let it go, then what he says is, I will grant to you, 
a life that you can't even imagine, far more glorious than anything that you could secure in this world. And so that's the first reason he gives, that your life is safe with Jesus. The second reason is this, your life is worth more than what you can pay. Your life is worth more than what you can pay. Now, he changes the metaphor here from the courtroom to the marketplace. Verse 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? In other words, the net profit at the end of the day is debt. What can a man profit? uh, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet you forfeit your life? You've gained everything, but after all is said and done, you've forfeited your whole life. And you end up being that condemned man or woman that you so much tried to avoid. And so the question becomes in verse 37, what can a man give in return for his life? If you're in debt, what can you give to pay for your life? One day we'll all have to pay for our life. It's the picture of being so far in debt that there's nothing that you can do about it. You may remember the commercial that came on a few years back There's a man who's pictured in various scenes with his beautiful house, with his children playing in the yard. They've got a boat and nice cars. And he's riding on his lawnmower. And he says, how can I do all of this? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Somebody help me. And in a sense, that's us. We're in debt up to our eyeballs in sin. And there's actually nothing that we can do to pay for it. We're so far in debt, there's nothing that we have that we can offer God. How much do you have? What do you think you could offer to God for your life? Jesus says, if you aren't willing to trust me, and if you want to live for yourself, then you will find that all that you have will profit you nothing. That's what Paul says to the Philippian church. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss. In other words, when he began to see the righteousness of Jesus, all of his righteousness, now he looked upon as trash. And it was lost to him. In other words, in the ledger books of God, it wasn't to his credit, nor was it neutral to God, but it was actually to his debt. He was further in debt by trying to work for his salvation by trying to offer up good works to God, the Lord says, now that's not the kind of currency that I want. Because all those things that you've done, you've done for yourself. And so all that we're doing is working ourselves further and further into debt by living for ourselves. And what Jesus offers is not only forgiveness, but He offers His infinite righteousness to us. So that whoever would come to Him would have all of His righteousness credited to them so that the Father would look upon us as being as righteous as the Son. Not as people who are go kicking and screaming following Jesus, but people who go willingly, just like Jesus went with the Father, willingly to the cross. Friends, do you have a sense that Everything in this life could be taken away from you. Everything. And yet you're still eternally secure in the righteousness of Christ. 
Jesus is saying, look, you can seek after all those things and they'll profit you nothing. He has released us from our debt, from the great bondage that we have. Could we actually then say to him, I'm not coming. I'm not following you. I'm not going where you would lead because I want a better life for myself. Well, not only is your life safe with Jesus, but your life is worth more than what you can pay. But finally, this last reason that he gives to us, your life, if you follow Jesus, will be approved by the Son. Verse 38, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so he presents two options here to those who would come after him. First one is this, to be ashamed of Jesus and proud of an adulterous and sinful generation. By saying that we don't want to follow Jesus is saying we're ashamed of him, but we're proud of an adulterous and sinful generation. And the person who does that, he says, now I'll be ashamed of you because you're ashamed of me. On an earthly level, it's easy to be ashamed of Jesus, isn't it? He looks very weak. He's a man who was tried and convicted, executed. He's often dismissed as being a radical, not taken seriously. He's not attractive. He doesn't look powerful in the gospel narratives. And on a human level, it is very easy to be ashamed of Jesus. And yet on a heavenly level, he's worthy of every bit of our worship, isn't he? It's sort of like the girl in high school who wasn't very attractive and none of the guys would pay any attention to her until a few years later. Maybe when she was college or after college. It's sort of the ugly duckling to beautiful swan effect. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, it would be easy for the disciples to be ashamed of Jesus. And yet he says, I'm coming in the glory of my Father and with his holy angels. And then you'll see who I really am. Do you have eyes to see? Do you see the glory of the Son of God? I hope that we see it now because if we wait until later, it will be too late. That's the first option. The second option is this, that we can be loyal to Jesus now and receive His affirmation when He comes now, when Jesus comes in all the glory of His heavenly Father, He will separate the sheep from the goats. He will put the goats on His left and the sheep on the right. And to the sheep, He will say, Well done, good and faithful servants. And to the goats, He'll say, Away from Me, I never knew you. Friends, friends don't we want to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servants. Isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want that sense of approval? We all grow up as children wanting the approval of our father and of our mother. We all run to them with our artwork and with our trophies and with everything that we've done and say, look, Mommy, look, Daddy, look what I've done. Don't you like it? Aren't you proud of me? 
That's the picture of what it means to be a child of God too. We want so badly to have the approval of our father and of our elder brother. Don't you like what I'm offering up to you? And so we have the opportunity to be approved by the Father and by the Son. Think of your failures in life and times in which you haven't come through. Where do you want to go? You want to go where someone still is proud of you. Where someone still loves you. That's what we all want. Fortunately, we often seek approval in all types of ways. Sometimes they're destructive ways. Sometimes they're unhealthy ways. Sometimes we align ourselves with certain people just for their approval. And in doing so, we we find that it destroys and twists our lives. And maybe we're not actually able to get out of it in the end. And Jesus says, the only approval that you need is my approval. For those who are not ashamed of Jesus, those who loved Him, we're told by the writer of Hebrews, He will not be ashamed to call us brothers. He will not be ashamed of us. He will claim us as His own. Remember an older brother who helped his younger brother who was handicapped in triathlon races and of course, the, the younger brother who was handicapped would sit in the wheelchair that was specially designed for this, and his brother would push him, or when they were swimming, the brother would basically drag the younger brother through the water. And if they would ever win, they would take the trophy, and the older brother would say to the father, look what your son did. Look what my younger brother did. In a sense, that's the picture of Jesus when we follow Him and we're faithful to Him and we're not ashamed of Him, He holds us up to the Father. And He says, now look at your children. Aren't you so proud of them? Because He's not ashamed to call us brothers. And that's the kind of approval that you and I are looking for, aren't we? At Covenant College, a young man by the name of John Acoff, he was a poor country boy, gave his testimony one day. He had been tossed out of his own family. His parents had rejected him. He went to live with his uncle. One morning he heard birthday noises coming from downstairs and he walked downstairs to see what was taking place. And his uncle walked over to him and said, now John, this is for family members only. You're not welcome here. By age 11 he was out on the streets. He found an old abandoned car to live in. And in that car was an old dusty Bible and he let it just flop open to wherever it would flop open. And it just happened to open to Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And he prayed to God and he said, God, if you will be my father, I won't tell nobody. And he said in that moment, it was as if the Lord spoke to him and said, John, I want everybody to know that you're mine because that's how I derive my glory, the glory of my grace. Isn't that what we want to hear too? Well done, 
good and faithful servants. What means more to you? The life that you can secure for yourself, the profits of this world, the approval of others, or is it the delight of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Which one do you want most? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We look at where Jesus has gone and we say, me, follow you there. He says, yes. And when you do, all of these things will be added unto you. What a glorious Savior we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the great promises that You give to us and we pray for Your mercies this morning. Confess that we haven't followed the Lord Jesus. We haven't been willing to walk where He has walked. We pray, Lord, that You would forgive us of being ashamed of Him at times so that we would be faithful to Him and one day be brought into eternal life with You and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.